Well, if you've got your Bibles, you might like to turn to the book of Romans. And just before we get into it, I had Steve Owen come and see me in the break. He said, I've just been really stirred by the Lord and uh, shared some things that I thought were relevant for today. Where is... Oh, there he is. Steve. Would you welcome Steve as he comes up? I just asked him to share what... What's on his heart today? Thanks, Steve. Just, um, when I woke up this morning, I just really felt drawn by God just to spend some time praying and, and just, just, just fellowshipping. And I, I just, just sensed he wanted me to look up in relation to the cross. And uh, I had a real sense personally for myself, God was just really wanting me to refocus on the power of the cross. And uh, as the word of God declares, the cross is the power of God. And uh, I just also was really um, hearing from God this morning as we were worshipping that he was saying today, but also as something, as we, as the year unfolds, I really sense the Lord saying is that it is the cross that is the power of God. And in our lives, that is the central thing of our salvation. And that is where the power of God is released, is the, is the cross of Jesus Christ, where he won the victory for us. And I, I really sense that if there's people here today that are really struggling with, um, with health issues and whatever it may be, addictions, all sorts of things, it is the power of the cross. We can seek, uh, we can seek help and, and, and a measure of, of some success elsewhere but Jesus is the is the only answer Jesus is the full answer he is the way he is the truth and That's the right. life and mm-hmm. it is at the it is at the cross where the power of God was released it is where the victory of God resides is at the power of the cross and I, I just believe that people today if, if you're struggling with things come and be reminded that Jesus power is released for you mm. because of what he did at the cross and that power is for you today. The day, today is the day of God's salvation. Mm, that's good. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. I thought that was appropriate given my focus this morning. I, whoops. That was just for a dramatic effect. I think we're turned off. I want to uh, speak on the subject from the book of Romans, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, we we thank you, even as uh, Steve has shared and hopefully our hearts have been stirred, to remember the significance of the gospel. And the center of the good news is that you came and you paid the price upon the cross. By your stripes, we are healed. And Lord, I, I just want to proclaim the greatness of who you are and the greatness of all that you've done over us as your people this morning. I ask through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes to see you, open our ears to hear you, and that we would walk away not just stirred intellectually, but impacted in our lives with the reality and the power of this gospel that you proclaimed and that you brought about through your death and then your resurrection, triumphing over death and the grave. Thank you that that very same resurrection power is at work in our midst this morning. May it be evident, may it accomplish 
all that you desire. Nothing more, nothing less. For the glory of your name, King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's get into it. We're going to spend a little bit of time, I am believing, in the book of Romans. I've always hesitated to do any kind of a longer teaching series through the book of Romans. Normally, we pick a book of the Bible, uh, hopefully spirit-led, and a small book takes us a year. So the book of Romans, I think, would be more like a decade study. So I'm not suggesting we do that, but I do think there is some important realities in there. And I'm sure with a title like Not Ashamed of the Gospel, you know exactly where we're going in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. But we'll start reading from verse 14, and I'll set it up this way. Romans is a unique book for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because this is a book that Paul writes to a church and a people that he didn't specifically actually know. Most of his writings were to either churches that he himself had planted, he'd been there, he'd established the churches, or perhaps some people that he'd ministered with, Timothy, Titus, etc., to encourage them. Whereas Romans, he hadn't been there. So he begins, as he doesn't always to quite this degree, as he opens his letter by introducing himself. He says, this is who I am, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, etc., etc. And then after introducing himself, he introduces his mission. This is my mission. This is my calling from God. This is my heart and my intention. And in verse 14, he says this, I am under obligation. Now, we could read that. I'm reading from the ESV. And obligation to me kind of almost has a sense of reluctance. I'm obliged to do this. I guess I have to do it just because someone's making me do it. But this word is almost the complete opposite. In fact, what Paul is saying up front here, he says, I am compelled. A better picture would perhaps be an instance where a king would call and commission his servant to go and spread forth his word, to be a a, a herald for a particular message. He's saying, I'm I'm under obligation in that I'm compelled, I'm commissioned, I'm authorised, I've been sent out with one particular mission in mind. It's verse 14, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, and again, he's not trying to be rude about a group of people there. He's basically saying to the locals and the foreigners, to those educated and uneducated, both to the wise and the foolish, he completes verse 14 with. I'm on this mission, is the sense. Commissioned, called, sent forth with this one perspective, with this one thing in mind. And verse 15, he says, and so I am eager. And that word there means not only eager, but there's, there's an urgency, there's a, there's a priority. Like I'm, I'm called and commissioned, but I'm excited. This is my passion. This is what drives me. This is what motivates me. This is what I'm prepared to do as I come. What is it, you ask? Well, he says it very clearly. I am eager to preach the gospel. That's my mission. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm so enthused and excited and prepared and ready. I'm coming with that single vision, mission to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And then, of course, verse 16, one of the most wonderful 
passages of Scripture, not only in this particular book, but in all of the New Testament. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, some translations say, unto salvation to everybody who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now let's pause there because we've already probably bitten off more than we can chew in that one particular verse. And Paul will spend the rest of the Romans expanding what exactly that means. What, what is this gospel that he came to preach? And even in that one verse, we can see you could do a whole series easily. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Just there. What does he mean? I'm not, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why is he not ashamed? For it is the power of God. Why is the gospel the power of God? What, does he mean? What, what is this power? What does this power do? What does this power look like? Where does this power lead us? He then goes on and says it's the power of God unto or towards or leading us to, to accomplish salvation. What, what does that mean? What does it really mean for us? Salvation, as Steve was talking about before, the cross. Like, what, what is the reality for us? What does that really mean for us? What does it look like? What does it accomplish in our lives and through us? And then, of course, he says, well, how, how do we appropriate it to all who believe? And then he finishes off the verse talking about for the Jew first and the Gentile. And even there, there's a sermon series looking at the, the eschatological unfolding of God's plan of salvation across human history. How, how do Jew and Gentile relate the old covenant and the new covenant? One of the most, I believe, misunderstood but important realities as we view the, the panorama or schema of scripture is understanding God's mission and how he works through his covenant. And I'm hoping perhaps we might eventually get there. So there's a lot in this one verse, yeah? And just relax if you're thinking, how on earth is he going to cover all those topics in one particular morning? I'm not. I want to give us, as we kind of, if you like, set the scene, I want to give us this reminder, I want to give us this overview, this snapshot picture with this simple thought in mind. You can jot it down if you like. The message matters. The message matters matters. It really does. The message matters. Or if you like it, what message are we proclaiming? What message are we living? Well, set it up this way. You know, it seems to me that almost every year, the crescendo of, of noise and narratives and news and fake news and, and just all this stuff increases by a few decibels. Anyone feel like that? Like just when you think it couldn't get any louder and noisier and muddier and more confusing, it just ratchets up a few notches. Is everybody out there wanting to have an opinion about everywhere, everything and everywhere? And seems like people can tweet before they can walk, yeah? They can certainly tweet before they can think. We <laughs> regularly experience that. But it's like in the midst of all the noise, there's almost this inevitable confusion. It's hard at times to see the, 
the trees from the forest, like what's real and what's not real. And funny example this week, I was talking to someone and they said, you wouldn't believe it, I was just kicking myself. I said, there, there was a time where you'd get an email hitting your inbox from Australia Post and it was actually from Australia Post. But they'd had one of these Australia Post emails and it had come there and they were actually expecting a package. You'd had one of these emails saying, package is on its way but you haven't quite paid the full postage. Please enter in your credit card details and life insurance number and everything else you've got to do. And as soon as this person clicked the button, they were like, oh, hang on a sec. I'm not sure that was the real deal. Who's had one of those moments? And then quickly you're like, I'll call up the credit card, I'll cancel. And before they, and they literally acted on the moment, but there was already $50 that had been charged to the credit card. It was indeed a, you know, a fake email from Australia Post and to make... Matters worse, or insult injury, they said, you wouldn't believe it. Somehow in the process, I got signed up to a dodgy dating site. <laughs> don't know how that happens. Once your details are out there, you know, anything, anything can happen. But there is this confusion, isn't it? We're sort of wading through what is right, what's wrong, what's genuine, what's fake, what is the real deal. It is confusing. And I've been asking myself this in you know, the midst of stuff going on around this year, as it does every year. There'll always be something, yeah? It's not particularly here, but how do we cut through that noise? How do we make sure the message matters? What, what is it that we should be saying from a Christian perspective? How should we be saying it? What, what is it? What, what is the essence? It's kind of like there's so much there, I don't even know where to start. And that's why I'm hoping this particular passage this morning, and as we look at this reality, as Paul says, I've come to proclaim the gospel, that there'll be a bit more certainty for us, that there'll be a bit more clarity about what we're to say and how we're to say it. And here's what I love about Paul as he begins this book of Romans. He introduces himself, and with this simplicity, with this clarity, with a single-minded focus, he says, I'm coming, and you kind of get the impression, and knowing Paul, this is probably the reality. He's like, I'm coming whether you like it or not, you know? I'm, I'm there. I'm on my way. And let me tell you up front, when I'm there, here is my sole aim. I'm coming to preach the gospel. It's not one message with a whole lot of others or secondary items, is it? He says, no, that's, that's, that's it. I'm coming to preach the gospel. I'm compelled, I'm commissioned, I'm eager to proclaim to you the gospel. He doesn't say, you know, I'm bringing with you some merchandise. I've got my latest books and helpful teaching series. He doesn't say I'm coming with, you know, amazing church growth strategies and techniques and ways that you can impact the community. I mean, maybe, who knows? But time and time again, not just in the book of Romans... Corinthians, he puts it this way, says, I've come to preach Christ crucified. Not even with words of wisdom. Like I don't even want the intellectual stuff to get in the way. I just want you to grab a hold of the simple gospel. That's my mission and that is my urgency. And he makes it clear and he says, this is the reason why. That's, this is why it's such a priority because I've discovered this is where the power lies. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's in the gospel. 
I think at times, and I can fall into this trap, we've got ourselves so much more focused on the messenger than the message. So much more caught up perhaps in the means by which we proclaim and portray the message. We've got to make sure it's palatable and it's creative and it's not offensive and it's toned, whatever it might be, that we've actually lost sight of the wood from the trees. Or have we? That's what I'm asking us. Have we lost sight of the message that is the power of God, which is the message of the gospel? And let's think about that. See, I, I do think there is confusion and at times there's almost this power struggle. I see it all the time as I subscribe to different Christian news websites and you, you see the, the um, public media footprint of different organisations and there is these different camps. There's, there's one camp that says, well, really the, the gospel should be much more about kind of moralism, self-help. In fact, if you pop down to the Kurong bookstore, you'll see it's not a criticism of Kurong, it's just the reality that this is a large camp, that in every time that I'm in there, the majority of books sitting on the bookshelves in the, the new latest bestsellers are about what sort of topic, do you think? About, about self-help, about how you can improve yourself, how you can be a better, a better you, better version of yourself. And I don't want to be critical of those. I think those books can be helpful in a certain space and sphere. But just think about this. Is, is the gospel more about you have the power to change yourself? Or is it more about his power at work through the cross in us? Like, which one is the gospel? So there's one camp that says, well, that's the gospel. It should really be more about moralism, self-help, improving yourself, 10 steps to a better you. That's what's going to help people. There's another whole camp that says, well, no, the gospel should be more about you know, politics. And we don't see this, I guess, as much in Australia as somewhere like the US, where at times the, the line between religion and politics is so blurred. You, you don't know where one stops and the other begins. And, but that's, that's our mission. It's to you know, change the political landscape and certainly probably most of us would say that there is a role as a Christian to pray for our government. There's a role as a Christian to believe and take interest into, in, in some of the aspects of the things going on around us in the political space. But we've also got to remember that Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Not of this world. Primarily his kingdom is not just come to influence the political landscape around us. There's another large camp that would say, well, no, the gospel's really about social causes. It's about social justice. It's about feeding the hungry. It's about ministering to those in need about us, social activism. And again, hopefully some of us or all of us would say, yes, there's some value in that. We should be caring for the poor. Absolutely. We should be doing what we can to love our neighbours. Like that, that is an extension of the gospel. But my question to us is, do some of those things, or perhaps at times all of those things, actually confuse or lead us astray from the actual message that must be proclaimed? The power of the gospel. Christ crucified like without that if that's not in the middle there somewhere what good is the rest what good is self-help without Jesus it's just moralistic works what good is the political sphere what good is social activism without Christ in the middle 
We're no different than what the world's doing. You see what I'm saying? And the thing is, if you proclaim the gospel, I believe you get all those others anyway. Because the way to a transform life is through the cross. The only way to truly change. The only way to truly transform a nation is through the bold proclamation of the gospel. Transformed lives will transform a nation. The only way to truly impact society is not just giving people food to feed their bellies, but it's giving them life through the power of the cross and hope eternal. So that's my question to us is, in the midst of this power struggle, in the midst of this noise, have we lost this urgency as a church? Let's talk church general. Like in the midst of all the noise that's going on around us, is there still, as, as Paul would say, I'm compelled, I'm commissioned, there's an urgency, there's a joy to preach the gospel? Is, is it coming loud and clear through somewhere? Hopefully in some way it is, but... I certainly think we can do better. Maybe if we take that down to a local level, as a church here, let's not just point the finger out there. But in what ways, as a church, have we perhaps lost that urgency? Have we lost that desire? Have we lost that sole single focus that those other things aren't bad, but this is the main thing. This is the main game. This is what it's all about is the proclamation of the gospel. And all that means, Christ crucified on the cross for sinners. Let's take it down another step as individuals. I only heard a little, I promise. Have we lost that passion as individuals? Can we honestly say personally before the Lord, oh, you're describing me here, Andrew. This, Paul, that's me. Like there is just a single focus in my life. I'm just compelled, I'm commissioned, there's this urgency everywhere I go, wherever God calls me, at school, at home, in my family, I just, that, that's my driving thing, just to, to preach the gospel, just to, to tell people about Jesus. And I, I don't want to ask that in a condemning way because I'm the first to put my hand up and say, Lord, I want you to stir me in this area. I want you to give me a greater urgency because I do believe this is not for the Apostle Paul alone. It's not for us to read and think, isn't that nice? Paul had this passion to preach the gospel and now we're just going about our day-to-day life. Paul often in his writings, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And one thing that's true about him is he had this burning desire to proclaim the gospel. Didn't matter what it cost him. I mean, he says, I'm not ashamed, and he lived it. He was beaten, he was in chains, he was thrown to the lions at one, you you name it. He suffered ridicule and scorn, and it seemed to only add fuel to the fire, didn't it? Like, where's where's the Pauls? Oh, Lord, even better. Lord, how how can you make me more like a Paul with that urgent passion to preach and proclaim the gospel? And just so we're clear, you know, we're going to actually look at um, some of the details of what Paul refers to as the gospel. But let me give you for our purposes this morning a really simple definition that's not actually in Romans. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. 
And he says, he's talking about the Gospels. This is the Gospel. This is what I delivered to you as of first importance, what I myself had received, that Christ died for our sins, in according with Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with Scriptures. That is what Paul is talking about in its purest form, in its essence. As Steve said before, it's all about the cross. It's all about a saviour who came, who died in our place, who was buried, who was raised from the dead to proclaim that he was who he said he was. The tomb that's empty, death that's defeated, sin is conquered, the grave is overcome. And as the Bible proclaims, that same power is alive and at work in you and I. You see, that, that is where we anchor ourselves. That's the place of power for the believer. And that's the power of the proclamation that we have to give to the world. Not just you can reform yourself a little bit. Not just you can do some nice things for those around you. Not just that you can maybe have some impact on society. But that God came to give dead sinners life. He rose from the grave and you too can rise out of the ashes, out of your sins. From death to life, from darkness into the glorious light that he offers to us. That's the power of our gospel. And you know, part of the reason that, I, that I've kind of felt stirred in myself to kind of look at, at this type of a theme, bearing in mind that it is always a good theme for us to consider, to explore, is that it's, it seems to me, and maybe you've also thought this as we've um, progressed this year in the context of some things that have happened that, you know, there's, there's certain times, I believe, where there's just a, a grace of God on a certain thing o over a nation. There's, there's just that sense of an open door. And I found it fascinating that in the midst of fires and tragedies, there's kind of been this stirring, and I'll, I'll explain it this way. I don't know if you saw this, but the hashtag, if you know what a hashtag is, bear with me if you don't, pray for Australia in the midst of everything else that was going on, it was trending at the top three of Twitter trends in Australia over the past month. Hashtag pray for Australia, right up there with hashtag um, Dolly Parton challenge. And if you know what that is, we'll pray for you later. And hashtag remove um, the Prime Minister. But some sermons there, all that to say, in the midst of everything going on and all the rubbish that was out there, there was this stirring of prayer. And there's this video going around. If you do a search for people praying in the midst of fires, somebody has compiled some of these different news reports into a YouTube clip that um, in a number of cases, number of cases where people were interviewed and they were facing down fires, they were all saying things. There was one lady who was an atheist. She said, you know, I've never actually believed in God, but that moment as the fires were coming down, I was praying. And she didn't say who she was praying to, but she was certainly open. She said, I was just, I was praying. Other people as well said, well, I'm kind of a, you know, a lapsed Catholic or a lapsed believer, but when, when I was surrounded by all these things going on, I, I was praying. I was on my knees praying. I saw one news report, which was a, a great one on the ABC, 
And the story was, you might have seen this, this particular article, but there was a, a group of scripture union, union, scripture union students who were stuck in the fires down in Malakuta on the beach there, and they were interviewed, and they said, well, we were there, and we just decided we've got to pray. So we got on, got on our knees, and we sought the Lord, and as we prayed, we saw literally the winds change and the fires turn around. And then they went on, and they were talking about Jesus. And I'm like, you know that revival's around the corner, right, when ABC is preaching the gospel. It's a miracle in and of itself. But how many eras and times are there where the ABC would have the boldness to air something like that? But when people would have the openness to just share that, like I was praying and God answered my prayers and he's alive and he's, and he's real. And but there is, to me, this kind of unique opportunity as a nation. And I've sensed this in the midst of conversations. I preached on the first Sunday of the year that we were to be ready. And I believe that that means many things. But one thing specifically is that we are to be a people like Paul, who both knows what he's called to do, but there's a readiness, there's an alert there that, you know, I'm waiting. He says, I long to come to you. I don't know when it is, but I know when the door is open. I know when the time's right, and I know when I'm there exactly what I've got to do. And this is it. I've got to proclaim the gospel. I've got to tell people about Jesus. I've got to proclaim the message of the cross. He is who he said he is. He came and he died. And I know him personally, and he's, he's changed and transformed my life. And I love, I love Paul's description because he says there's not only this single focus, but there is this readiness. There's this desire in his heart that whatever moment presents itself, I'm going to grab that moment. I'm going to seize the opportunity when it's before me. I was thinking, um, obviously this week you probably saw, just when we thought all the fires had settled down and that season had, had come and gone, that we had fires again flare up. It was Thursday, wasn't it? Thursday, down the coast. And then we were sitting in the office. I was actually in a, a session with a couple who were getting married next week. And all of a sudden one of them was like, oh, there's some smoke just out, out the window, just across at Pielago. There's a big fire there and all the rest of the staff were there in a moment. And we, we literally had this box seat view to see this fire out of nowhere. There's a bit of smoke. And then all of a sudden these roaring flames that were double the size of pine trees. Fortunately, the wind was kind of blowing across us, so it was never coming towards us. But it was like the moment there was flames, there was instantly, I think there must have already been in the air on patrol, but four of the water bombing helicopters, pretty soon another two helicopters joined them. There was fire engines on the ground, there was police driving through Fishwick, eventually they evacuated a few streets and we lost power and it was, it was all, all drama and, and, and all go. Amazing to see a fire like that and just the ferocity of it and the, the, you know, the raw power of nature. But the point is this, you know, I was amazed almost as quick as the fire was there were, was the response of those people who were ready. And we were watching them because there's a river just over the back of Fishwick here where the helicopters had come in and they'd pick up their water and they were doing circuits, they closed the airport so basically the helicopters could have free reign to try and get on top of this fire. I remember saying to Adam at one point, I said, it's, it's going to be a miracle if there's not houses lost in this blaze because of the ferocity and the, the hugeness of it. And they, they managed to because of the, the readiness of their response. Like they were there ready to go. And as I was looking at kind of that response, response 
I felt the Lord impress upon my heart that as people of God, that is to be our response in readiness. That is our ready response. Jude 1, 2, 1 verse 22 says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Can you catch that picture? To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. A people who seize the moment. Because the reality is that there's a far greater danger, isn't there, than any fire that could consume your possessions. There's a far greater urgency than the saving even of houses and properties. Literally, there are lives on the line. Do we have that same intent in our mission to save souls? Do we even care? At times, I've got to ask myself that question. Lord, stir up my passion. Where's the urgency of the moment? And you see, in those kind of instances, you don't just try and tone things down a bit, do you? You don't think, well, let's go and have a chat to the flames, sit down and have a cuppa, maybe just try and gently direct it elsewhere. Now, you are ready and alert, and you do everything you can to preserve life and preserve property. And my hat goes off to those firefighters. It does. I'm sure all of you have seen those pictures, and just, oh, man, it moves me. The passion of these people to save properties and lives. What if we had that same passion for souls? Like, where is that God in here? Because it's not in there to the degree that I want it to be. To know what needs to be done and to launch into the midst of the flames with my own life on the line, knowing that if even one soul is saved from destruction, then it's so worth it. It's worth any cost to myself. It's worth any discomfort. It's worth any kind of ridicule that I might endure. Endure. So there is... Hopefully for us this morning, an encouragement that the message matters. There is both a need for us to recognize, as Paul proclaims, this single view and focus. That is our call. And to fulfill it with every ounce of urgency that we can muster. Can we get the worship team back up? Let me just finish with this. I remember uh, 2018, it was when uh, Billy Graham, famous evangelist, he passed away. And uh, of course, at that particular time, they were showing a number of interviews of his life. Great man, great inspiration, I'm sure, to me and to many of us personally. I mean, the statistics are staggering. They were reporting that, and you can only estimate these things, but over 200 million people came to his crusades. Over 2.2 billion people heard him preach through the media over seven decades, personal advisor to 11 presidents and many other leaders around the world. And one of these particular images just grabbed me. They were saying to him, you know, Billy, what's, what's the secret? Like, what's been the secret of your ministry? Why are people still listening? Like, what, what is it that you've done that's made your ministry so successful? And he said this, it's a quote. He says, I have one message 
that Jesus Christ came, that he died on a cross, that he rose again, and that he asked us to repent of our sins and receive him by faith as Lord and Saviour. And he concluded, he says, As I look back over my life, I'm convinced there's only one thing that has the power to change people's lives and make a difference. And it's this. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And can I just encourage us lovingly that in an era that's forever looking for the latest and greatest and reinvent and repackage, looking for all the, the news and the highs, there is a message that stands the test of time as a witness to humanity. As Jesus proclaimed it would, he said to his disciples, this gospel will be proclaimed, it will be preached to all nations as a witness, and then the end will come. It is the message, it's the only message for all of this period in human history. And you and I might never preach to 2.2 billion people, maybe we will, never know, God willing. We may never have the ear of presidents, but we can live anchored into the truth of the gospel, compelled by that same message with that same fire of Billy Graham, the great evangelist, burning in our hearts. The only message that saves that we would be a people like Paul who could boldly proclaim, we are not ashamed of the gospel. We are not ashamed of the gospel because we know that it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Let's anchor into that reality and let's recapture that urgency for that to be the message that we proclaim in this year. Seizing the moment, whatever opportunities might present themselves, be they conversations, be they opportunities in workplaces, in schools, be they opportunities for us as, as a church. Are we ready? Is there that passionate urgency in our heart to grab a hold of the doors that God's open with both hands and proclaim the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can we pray? Father, I, I do as I've already prayed today. I just... It's, it's my desire that this would be so much more than words on a paper. As wonderful as Paul's proclamation is, God, I pray that you'd take that and that you would cause something in his example and his witness to stir our hearts afresh. Lord, would you remind us personally and individually where our power as believers lies. It has been, it always will be, for now and evermore, in the power of the cross. In your blood that was shed on Calvary, we thank you that it is mighty, that it is able to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness, to raise us up to life again. The greatest miracle of all. And as we see that afresh, Lord, would there be something in our hearts, something afresh? Something that is birthed anew. A greater urgency, a greater, a greater passion, a greater desire to be ready. Lord, that you would send us forth this year 
that you would open doors that no man can shut, that this would be an open season for us personally, for us as a church, and even broader in our nation. An open season to boldly proclaim the gospel and to see it bear fruit for your glory. We ask that. And I just pray, particularly, Lord, I feel to pray for those who, who have that real gifting to be evangelists. And Lord, all of us are called to evangelize, but specifically, Lord, where that's been something. And I want to pray, I don't know whether it's one or a few people here for whom that's been a calling, but it, it's just been quenched. Maybe there's you know, efforts in the past, maybe there's been discouraged and you know, discouragement and disappointments, but I feel like this is a new season for you. If that's you, just receive that. And I pray for just a lifting off and a breaking away of anything that would hinder that bold proclamation. And I pray for a, a fresh rising of fiery witnesses to go forth with your gospel in hand and see thousands upon thousands encounter the grace and the mercy and the love that's found through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to finish with a song. Can I get you to stand?